Please remain standing as you're able. The fundamental confession of God's people for the last 3,000 years has included the Shema of Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. So if you'll follow after me, we'll join together. Shema Israel. Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Ahad. Together, hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, We're coming toward the end of the Sermon on the Mount. This is Matthew chapter 7. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many are on it. But... Small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life, and few find it. Beware of false prophets. They will come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree bears good fruit, and a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. But any tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. By their fruit you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father Who is in heaven. For many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. Our lives, by and large, are a result of the choices that we make. We make large choices about education and career and spouse. But I think also we make significant choices that are on a daily basis. Uh, The writer Annie Dillard put it this way, How we spend our days is indeed how we spend our lives. And so all of our choices really are significant, and our life is an accumulation of those choices and a result of those choices. And we live today in a world with an abundance of choices. We live in a choice overload. You can get, if you would like, up to 500 different channels on your TV. You can pick on the cereal aisle in the grocery store from more than 200 brands of cereal. We have a son who's a senior in high school, so we bought him one of those magazines about colleges. And the particular magazine that we bought wasn't even that thick, but it covered 1,400 Colleges and universities. We live in a world of choices, and there are many choices available to us. But interestingly, when God speaks in Scripture, God tends to only give people two choices. In the book of Deuteronomy, in chapter 11, God encourages people to choose between blessing and curse. Moses later will encourage people to choose in Deuteronomy 30 between life and death. Joshua will uh, exhort people to make a similar choice. Elijah will have people choice, uh, choose between two gods. It seems that God seems to narrow our choices. And so Jesus comes in the Sermon on the Mount, and in a world of choices, gives us a basic choice between two. 
between a narrow gate and a wide gate, between a narrow road and a broad road. Seems kind of interesting, almost small-minded of God and small-spirited of God in a world with so many choices to limit our choices so severely and, and whittle them down to just two. But as usual, God is so many steps ahead of us. God sees uh, the implications of our choices way before we even uh, can grasp the significance of those choices. And so God knows uh, that a choice may actually look different uh, after it's made than when you're trying to make it. The rabbis put it this way, that we're living in Jesus' day. They told a parable about a man who sat beside a road that went to two paths. And people would come up to that uh, path and try to figure out which one to take. And the, and the man would say to them, now this one here, it starts out thorny for the first several steps. But then it becomes very smooth. And then he would say, now this one over here is really smooth and, and easy. But then toward the end, it, it gets to be thorny and it is almost impassable. This, I think, is a similar kind of parable to, what, parable to what Jesus is saying. That we can make a choice which seems narrow at the start but actually becomes broader as we go along with it. Or we can make a choice that seems broad and easy but then begins to become more narrow as we go into it. For example, uh, Donna lifted up marriage this morning in her prayer and talked about the anniversaries that are being celebrated this week. Think about a healthy marriage. A healthy marriage is a result of uh, options being limited severely at the start. When, when you decide to get married, you eliminate other partners and you narrow down to one. When you're married, your range of activities narrows from everything that you might possibly do to the things that you would do with uh, your spouse that you can agree on and do together. It seems to be a very narrowing uh, choice to get married. And yet, as you know, when, when you live in a healthy marriage, then it broadens out. Children come. Joys deepen. Opportunities for spiritual and emotional growth abound. And as you walk along the path, what started narrow begins to broaden and uh, begins to be a very uh, open and engaging way. I think in the same way, the Jesus way is actually quite narrow. And Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, rules out a lot of options for us. Uh, this summer, we've talked about the Sermon on the Mount every Sunday, and you know already a number of options have been eliminated from your life if you take it seriously. You don't have the option to act on your anger. You don't have the option to be unforgiving toward another person. You don't have the option of treating someone from the opposite sex as an object. You don't have the option to uh, obsess over material possessions. You don't have options that you had before you took the Sermon on the Mount seriously. But what we find is as we don't give in to unforgiveness, as we don't give in to judgmentalism, as we don't give in to materialism, our options and our life begin to broaden as we go along. And we have a much fuller, wider, and richer life because of making a few narrow choices at the beginning. In the Gospel of John, Jesus called this life abundant. But there is another way, of course. And that way, Jesus says, starts pretty broad. You don't eliminate any options. It looks like you can do anything you want. Indulge your fantasies uh, of uh, abusing and using another person. Indulge your desire for revenge. Indulge your judgmentalism. Uh, indulge your worries about not having enough. It's just give in to all of that. 
no, uh, uh, no restrictions there at all. And that's a very broad way. But you begin to live a life like that and the choices you've made to act on your anger, to not forgive, to obsess over possessions, begin to hem and narrow your life in. And you find that your life actually isn't quite as broad as it seemed when you had so many options before you. Some years ago in San Antonio, you may recall, people were playing a prank one day and they removed the stop sign. Well, unfortunately, without that boundary of a stop sign, two cars came to an intersection at the same time, and it resulted in a fatality. Sometimes the road that has all options open, a road with no boundaries or restrictions, a road that we can do whatever seems appropriate to us at the time, seems like a good way and a wide way. But as we engage in it, our lives begin to narrow down, and we get hemmed in by those choices that we've made. And Jesus encourages us to make a few basic choices at the start that will open life as opposed to not making those choices and finding our life narrowed. Now, I'm going to explain to you how this works. I know you've never done it, so, but I have. You, you've told a, a falsehood. Uh, let's say you were invited to go visit Aunt Sue. Uh, for the evening, Aunt Sue hasn't been feeling well. Well, the game starts at 7, and you know if you go to Aunt Sue's, you'll never make it back for the tip-off. You won't see that game. And, and so you announce to your spouse that really you think you're coming down with something. You probably have a fever. Uh, you might just have to excuse yourself right this minute. You're too ill to go there. And so she goes on without you. And you stay there. It's about 5.30. You're getting ready for the game at 7 o'clock. Your friend calls and tells you that for that very game, they have courtside seats. But you know, if you're in that courtside seat, you're on the camera. They will see you, and Aunt Sue and your spouse will know that you weren't were really that ill after all. Sometimes when we tell a falsehood, it looks like we're keeping the options open, but it actually narrows the options for the future. Joseph, in the uh, book of Genesis is sold by his brothers into slavery. And they will lie to their father to cover it up. And they'll say, well, a wolf got him and tore him to pieces. And this lie will haunt them for the rest of their life. Even when they're starving, they find it difficult to negotiate in Egypt with the second in command, who's Joseph, but they don't recognize him, because they're haunted by what they have and haven't told their father about the past. What looks like a broad way with lots of options actually turns out to him a sin. So Jesus says that life really narrows down to just a basic choice between a narrow way that starts narrow and a broad way. But you might say, I'd really rather not make that choice at this time. Well, that's the problem. Going through a narrow gate on a narrow way takes a bit of effort. It's a deliberate choice that we will make in life. And so not to decide, as they tell you, is in fact to decide. And it's by default you end up on a broad way. And so the narrow way is one that we have to intentionally choose. Even if we don't have everything the way we'd like it at the time, even if we don't see how forgiving that person is really going to help in the long run, we still choose that way. I was reading a story this week about a British battalion in North Korea during the Korean conflict. And they had the communist Chinese closing in behind them. And they had a, a minefield that the North Koreans had laid in front of them. And they had to choose. Stay and be captured or move at that risk. 
And so one soldier got up and said to his colleagues, follow me. And he navigated them and led them through the minefield. And when they were on the other side, uh, one of his uh, compatriots said to him, man, it was great that you knew the way already through the minefield. And he said, I didn't know the way. I didn't know it at all. But we had no choice. We had to get up and move. And I think something like that will happen to us in life. Situations are going to come, and even if we don't want to decide, they're going to force us to decide. Situations are going to come in life and force us to forgive or not forgive. To act on our anger or not act out of anger. To judge people or give them the benefit of doubt. Everything covered on the Sermon on the Mount is going to be forced on us at some point in life. So it's better to make the choice, I think, ahead of time that we'll limit our options and we'll live the way that Jesus has put in front of us. But you might rightfully say to me out of your own experience that, you know, I've tried that. I've tried to be forgiving. I've tried not to act on anger. I've tried not to obsess over possessions when, uh, when the economy is so bad. And I'm really struggling with that. I've tried this narrow way, but it's hard for me to walk it. Well, that's understandable. Let me make one suggestion. It is slightly possible that we oftentimes get the cart before the horse and we try to walk on the narrow road without first going through the narrow gate. Let me say it another way. In John the 10th chapter, Jesus said, I am the gate. And shepherds would know what he means. When shepherds put their flock down for the night, they'd put like a, a pen made of stones. They'd try to hem them in. And then there'd be an opening. And the shepherd himself would lay down in the opening so that no one could go in or out without going through him. Jesus said, I'm that gate. You don't get on this road without going through me. So the first commitment in our life is not that we're going to try to live by the Sermon on the Mount. The first commitment in our life is that we are fundamentally going to give ourselves away to Jesus. That we're going to love him as best as we can and let him be our friend. And let him be our brother. And let him be our encourager along this path. If you try to walk Jesus' path without Jesus, you're not going to make it. But if you walk with Jesus, you have a better chance. And even if you don't make it, even if you don't make it, you've done the most important thing, which is just to have a relationship and walk with Jesus himself. Jesus said something interesting. He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And then he goes on to say, many people will say, Lord, Lord, didn't we in your name cast out demons, prophesy, perform miracles? And I will say to them, I never knew you. It's a difficult verse, but I think part of what Jesus is saying is that I can't do anything. I can't walk this road. Apart from intimacy with Him. Apart from being with Him. It's the only thing that makes walking this path possible. But I think He's saying something more important than that. And that is, the most significant thing is that we know Him. And that He knows us. And that we can walk the straightest, tightest path in the world. We can never tell a lie. We can always open the door for people in front of us. We can do everything right down the line. And we can still miss the most significant thing in life, which is to know Jesus personally and to let ourselves be loved by him. It's a hard road. It's a narrow road. But there is a way. And that way starts 
by first going to Jesus and offering him our very lives. And when we do that, the path then begins to open up for us. A number of people went to Israel this summer, and I know one of the things they did, because rabbis do this in Israel, is they come to a body of water. And people are standing around looking at the body of water. And all of a sudden, the leader with clothes, boots, and everything on just jumps into the water. And then those who are following the leader are are forced with the decision, do I jump in after him, get my clothes and everything wet, or do I just stay on the side and, and test the water first, get things in order, fold up my socks, put them neatly. And if you do that, by that time, the leader's in the water and out and gone. And this is a rabbinical lesson that's been around for centuries. And Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel calls this lesson the life leap. And what he says is this. If you just want to stick your toe into life with God, you're never going to understand it and you're never going to live it. But if you are willing, as you are, where you are, to jump totally into your life with God, then everything will begin to start making sense in front of you. And I think the same thing is true with Christians. If you want to wait and see if everything's going to work out first, you'll never follow Jesus. But if you'll jump in to life with him immediately, you will find the road begins to appear before you and you'll be able to walk it and you will not walk it alone.